Welcome to BRSN's Amped, a podcast seeking to amplify the voices and highlight the experiences of underrepresented athletes at Cornell University. Each season of Amped is dedicated to the stories and perspectives of a different social identity group and their intersection with athletics. And this season, season two, is devoted to the experiences of female student athletes on our campus and beyond. Welcome to this episode of season two of BRSN's podcast, Ant. We're your hosts, Annika and Ashton, sitting alongside an extraordinary former Cornell athlete. Today, we welcome Morgan Chaw to share her experience as a sports consultant and as a gymnast here at Cornell. So Morgan, let's get started. Tell us a little bit about your current work, specifically with your company, Chaw Sports Consulting. Um, what did you hope to achieve with this venture when you started? Yeah, well, first, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. I was so excited that you guys are doing all these features on women athletes. Um, And yeah, I'm just really excited to be here. So thank you. So Tall Sports Consulting, I launched it um, or founded it last July 2020. So just celebrated a little about a year and a half ago, which is crazy to think about. When I first launched my business, I really was looking to provide myself and others with a platform to continue improving the lives of college athletes. So while I was at Cornell as a gymnast, I ended up getting involved with SAC on campus, the Student Athlete Advisory Committee. I was president for a couple of years and then ended up becoming the Ivy League representative um, to the Division I uh, SAC. And then I became chair of that group. Um, and I spent three years ingrained in the NCAA system in meetings with university presidents and chancellors. And I had the ear of Mark Emmert, the president of the NCAA and other NCAA VPs and managing directors. And my voice really meant something and people cared what I had to say. They gave me the opportunity to have a seat at the table and learn the inner workings of college sports. Um, and from there, um, I really got to know college sports and a bunch of student athletes across the NCAA in all three divisions. Um, And the peak of my leadership position at the national level happened to come during one of the most pivotal years in the history of the NCAA. In 2019, in October, that was when the Board of Governors, the highest governing body of the NCAA, instructed all three divisions to reform their rules around name, image, and likeness. And then a few months later, in January, we created the COVID-19 task force um, to man to monitor what was going on with the pandemic. And then I was chair during all of those sports season cancellations that first um, that first spring in March of 2020. So and interestingly, I also my day job was working at Cornell Health as a public health fellow. So that was kind of interesting with the pandemic. Um, but in terms of my business, I had all this really unique experience. Um, and then my position, my leadership position ended in June. And we're in the middle of the pandemic, like crisis mode, name, image, and likeness still hadn't been figured out. And I had all of this unique knowledge and experience, but I no longer had this platform of national SAC to really give it back to the system and improve the lives of college athletes. So that's where my company was kind of born out of was this desire to continue using that knowledge and putting it back into the system. Um, 
like for example, with name, image, and likeness, I had been asked by the Senate Committee on Commerce, Science, and Transportation to write a letter um, from the Division I SACS perspective on what should be in a federal bill on this issue and understanding the landscape better. Um, so I was very ingrained with the position. And what ultimately launched my business was I was sitting in um, during the summer of the first summer of the pandemic, I was sitting on a webinar um, by lead one. And there was a guy on the webinar who was listed as an expert in name, image, and likeness. And I had given that man, along with several other individuals who had reached out to me over the months, free advice around what would be beneficial for student athletes in this space. And he um, was starting his own business. And he was sitting on this webinar as an expert. And I looked at that and I was like, what? I gave you advice to understand this the space and you're the expert, I guess I'm an expert and my advice is valuable. Um, and I'm lucky to have two extremely supportive um, parents. And my mom is actually an entrepreneur too. And so she encouraged me, both my mom and dad encouraged me to start a consulting business. So I just sat down and thought about all the things that I was good at and identified the biggest areas of improvement for college sports and started building strategic partnerships. Um, and just over the last year and a half, my business model has evolved. So I work with, um, I work with businesses who are interested in understanding the name, image, and likeness space better um, so that they can better support all college athletes um, and just the business side of it, obviously not the legal side. Um, and then I work a lot with prospective college athletes and I help guide them through the recruiting process. So that's been a really rewarding part of my business as well. Well, thanks for sharing all that. That's honestly very interesting how you've been able to transfer form kind of your role as an athlete and continuing that post, you know, Cornell. Um, it's very impressive what you were doing, I think, as a student athlete. Um, I don't know how you made time for all that, but that's very cool. And I would love for you to tell us a bit more about how your experiences as a female athlete really shaped that trajectory for you. Um, obviously, it kind of gave you that experience and that platform to be an expert, like you're saying. Um, but maybe you could share a little bit more about how those experiences specifically as the athlete um, helped you gain that knowledge. Yeah, I, that's a great question. And like women's athletics is something that is a passion of mine. Um, and I think that just being a female athlete in, in general has completely shaped my life. It's forever a part of who I am. And I've met so many incredible, excuse my language, badass women throughout my time in both club gymnastics and as a college gymnast. Um, and truly some of the women athletes or women in sports that I've met are some of the strongest, most brilliant leaders that I know. And so I think being a woman in college sports, I also know what it feels like to be thought of as an afterthought. Um, so, so much centered around athletics for men when I was in college and just not even at Cornell, but also in the broader NCAA, um, given my experience at the national level, I had the privilege of being able to meet so many other women athletes across division one, division two, and division three. And at the really like center of all of our experiences, the commonality is that 
in general, like college athletics surrounds men, the best facilities, um, you know, for example, at Cornell, like Statler brunches for some of those teams before their games, um, games in general, just scheduled for prime time, the attendance by certain athletic staff. Um, and so I guess in terms of how it shaped my outlook on women's athletics, I think really I it made me experience and understand firsthand the power of Title IX to give me the opportunity and so many other women like me and how Title IX might ban sex discrimination at college athletic departments. But anyone who has played a college sport knows that at most campuses, on most campuses, the world bends toward football and men's basketball and other men's sports. Right. Yeah. I mean, for sure, I, I can definitely relate as a female athlete as well. I think that luckily things might be starting to change a little bit in, in the realm of some sports. There are still some sports that are definitely underrepresented um, overall and then specifically within the, the realm of like the female side of things. Um, but I guess then to just follow up, like you mentioned, Title IX and some of their policies. Um, specifically, we know that you were published in USA Today about sharing your thoughts on the unfair treatment of female athletes and how the name, image, and likeness laws will kind of exacerbate those differences. Um, so could you just share some more on how you feel about the impact of that recent uh, name, image, and likeness development like on female college athletes and if you have any personal experience with that as well? Yeah, um, no, I think it's a great question and it's a really complicated answer. I wish it was like simple because I do recognize that name image and likeness does provide opportunities for women's athletes, especially Olympic sport athletes that otherwise didn't have the same types of opportunities prior to the rule changes. So, you know, for example, like I come from a sport of gymnastics where you go to the Olympics when you're 16 years old um, and swimming is very similar. And all of those Olympians in the past have had to decide, do I want to take an endorsement deal and capitalize off of my name, image and likeness and my success at the Olympics or my success at the national team? Or do I want to play um, my sport in college? Do I want to do gymnastics in college? Um, but now, you know, you see gymnasts like Suni Lee on Dancing with the Stars and she's a gymnast at Auburn and she's able to do both and it's amazing. And so I do see that for some of those top athletes, it's a great opportunity. And I also want to make it clear, like with my op-ed, I'm not against name, image, and likeness as a concept, I think it's great. I just think it needs to be done correctly to protect the inevitable inequities and inevitable inequitable treatment of women's athletes. So in terms of elaborating on my article, like for example, like third parties don't have to comply with Title IX because they don't receive federal funding. And with all of these varying state laws as well, some institute, depending on what state you're in or what institution your conference is a part of, some institutions are allowed to help support their student athletes with NIL deals and some institutions are not. So if the institution's involved with supporting the NAL deals, well, then that falls under Title IX. But then what about all those other institutions that don't have that, that creates competitive inequity? And um, I guess like another kind of argument on that is just that like our current free market, I hear this all the time, people saying, well, just let the free market work itself out. Well, I'm you know, sorry, am I living in a different world than everybody else? Like in no market, in, in 
none of our industries do our women treated the same or valued the same as men. And we see that in the sports industry with women's basketball and women's soccer professional on the professional side. So, I mean, that's a big piece. And then like, I'm not even going to get into the whole like over-sexualization of women in the media and how women athletes are treated and the types of deals that they're offered versus the types of deals that, you know, maybe star men's athletes are offered. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of complexities, I think, in the entire ruling. And I think right now, too, it's hard to flush them all out when it, there are so many discrepancies across the country, too. So it's like, I mean, obviously, you are very knowledgeable on the topic and are able to point out all of these, you know, intricate complexities. But it really is a very complicated system right now. And I think everyone is trying to figure it out. But you bring up a lot of good points. I've never even thought of like the Olympic side of it before. And that's obviously like, I think one of the biggest spots where these uh, athletes deserve to get that extra monetary benefits that they weren't able to before. So thank you for bringing up all those points. I think that's really uh, cool for our listeners to hear too, because you do have that knowledge on it. Um, you know, taking a little bit of a different uh, topic, but what are some other concerns or problems that you want to see change in the NCAA um, in terms of their treatment of of female athletes obviously we saw like with March Madness this past year like that you know brought up some other inequities um are there any more that you want to point out um now maybe just quickly on one or two that um you see as like there's room for improvement yeah I think like in a bullet point list (laughs) um I would say like a few so for one and it kind of relates on the last piece that we were just talking about with NIL I think that there are certain mental health issues that are more prevalent among women in general um, whether they're athletes or not um, that the NCAA I think could you know as they start they've done a better job over the years and starting to prioritize mental health coming out with better guidelines and um, really any guidelines and workshops and stuff um, for schools and universities. But I think that as, you know, one of the biggest marketplaces when it comes to NIL is social media. And we've seen, you know, Congress in recent years, you know, in the recent months, get involved with the impact that social media has on body image issues and eating disorders among teens and young women in particular. And so kind of not saying correlation is, you know, causation in this sense, but we do need to recognize and try to get ahead of how opening up this marketplace and creating even more opportunities and essentially encouraging young women and men to be on social media even more, how that might negatively impact their, so their body image issues in college. Um, And so I think that perhaps fancy to like doing some research and monitoring that and just outside bodies, just generally monitoring that is important. Um, another big thing that I think is really important, um, is being, I don't know how exactly to phrase it without just like creating a new policy for them. Um, but the handling of sexual assault and interpersonal violence cases and allegations, I think, um, I have, I'm, very proud of the brand that I've created. I, in terms of being an advocate for female athletes and I, I was doing it consciously, but didn't know if other people kind of saw me as that. Um, and over the last really two years in particular, 
I've, you know, been countless female athletes have reached out to me. Either they know me through Cornell or the NCAA, or they've heard about me through a friend who put them in touch and they want to know what they can do to better change the treatment of female athletes on campus, especially as it, as it relates to, um, Title IX and sexual assault allegations um, not being taken seriously or not given the respect that they deserve. So um, we could have a whole nother segment just on that, but I'll stop there. But I think that those are kind of the two, you know, big things beyond the obvious of investing in equal resources um, that like the Kaplan report is coming out with in terms of NCAA championships. Right. Yeah. And like you pointed out, it's really interesting to kind of see how interconnected all of these issues end up being. Um, Like when you when you said that, you know, there is that whole relationship between NIL and social media and therefore mental health issues. Um, And then with Title IX, there's that whole interconnected complex issue as well. Um, And obviously, these are all things that you hope to see improvement on for the future. Um, but I guess then specifically for women in sports, are there any, like, is th- what progress would you like to see for female athletes themselves? Yeah, I think I want like every female athlete listening to this podcast to know that their voice matters, that their experience matters and that they can make a difference and that we're all stronger together. Um, I think that in general, we need to all empower each other. I th- think women tend to see each other as competitors more so than adversaries um, and lift each other up. So empower more women leaders and youth college and pro sports at every level. Um, Again, like just greater accountability. I'd like to see that when it comes to equal pay opportunities, treatment, and just in the workplace in general. Um, And I think it's also really important to note that you know, male colleagues, especially in sports and male teammates, treating and viewing women as their counterparts in their network and with equal respect. Um, I hope that we all continue to grow our allyship base because we can't do this alone. And when women win, we all win. So I think that is an excellent way of ending. I think that's (laughs) our whole point of this podcast too, is to amplify the voices of females in sport because I think often they can be overlooked and hopefully in doing so, we continue to foster that culture of support and um, inclusivity as well. So thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate you taking the time and be sure to listen to other episodes of Amped covering stories of athletes with diverse identities. So thanks so much, Morgan. Yeah, thanks for having me. Bye.